Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It crushed me, actually, um, especially going Cambridge University. I came out of that very kind of um, disillusioned and confused. It's really important to look at the child you have, see what their temperament is. Some children just skate through academics, and so great if that's the case put them in that environment some children need to be challenged if they're not challenged they you won't get the best out of them some children are so bright that just having this bog standard um homework or whatever doesn't maximize their potential you are listening to the dope black mums podcast on today's podcast we're joined by journalist and dancer salope and baker and writer madupe and just welcome to the podcast thank you thanks yeah Thanks so much for being here. So I heard about you both from the Black Ballad article. I should take a moment to shout out Black Ballad because Toby and everyone at the Black Ballad HQ are doing amazing work, producing some great content, getting us talking about important issues and ultimately just empowering us all. So keep on doing amazing work there. Um, yeah, so the article I saw was, are private schools a place for young black girls? This got shared in our WhatsApp group and really got everybody talking, um, sharing, and just really interesting feedback was coming back. I wanted to start off by just understanding everyone's journey to private education. So what did it take for your family to get you into private education? Were you the first person in your family? Um, could you just speak on that for a moment? What what was your journey? So my dad came to this country at 19 years old um, to study banking. And he, his parents, um, his mum was a, I think, um, sold food and clothes like that in the local market. And I'm not sure what his dad did actually, but they were definitely not affluent international people um, and they could just about afford for his plane ticket um, so he arrived in London with 20 pounds in his back pocket but he was brought up to believe that like education was the pinnacle of what you could give to your child and he's always said to, to me that you know I can't give you money or houses or anything like that but what I will give you is uh, the kind of education that will allow you to stand on your own two feet and I say that to kind of um, preface the the journey for me was started from a very young age um, when I was two years old my dad and my mum put me into a Saturday school which tutored me in maths English and science obviously at two years old I don't know how much um, science and things like that you can actually comprehend but that was the kind of my grounding and I was in that um, Saturday school from the age of two until I passed my entrance exams so every week without fail um, from nine till about five in the evening I would be there um, learning so it was it was pretty kind of grueling my parents were very very determined that I would get into um, a good school and that was kind of the plan from the beginning and that was from two yeah so did you miss out on dance classes football school birthday parties Absolutely. with your friendship circles yeah yeah yeah. I did um I, I distinctly remember I used to love watching um what are they called now the ninja turtles yeah exactly right and I used to um come downstairs and have my breakfast and be in the middle of watching that when sort of and I remember being really heartbroken that I'd always have to be carted off before the end of that episode and you know um so we had growing up I had um my closest cousins were my mum's elder brother's children and they had a very different upbringing to me um and were from a mixed culture. So they, they were um, half Caribbean and half Nigerian. 
and there was a lot more kind of freedom and fluidity in the way that they were brought up and and there was not that their parents and my parents just didn't have the same kind of I guess aspirations in life so um, whilst they would kind of um, go to adventure playground and and hang out at their grandparents house and things like that I I or at you know at our grandparents house I was always sort of off to school um, and it caused a lot of division in our extended family because people didn't agree with my parents kind of approach kind of quite militant they're very loving um you know they do everything for us but um they just knew what they wanted to achieve with us and as far as they were concerned the the um the ends justified the means and as a young child did you pick up on that absolutely yeah Yeah. um um, when I was in primary so I went to a state primary school and um I was pretty much um groomed to be the best in 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 the school in my class so you know I would come home and try and never forget the day I think I was in year five and um, my dad was walking me home from school because my dad's like like one of the highlights of my dad was coming to to school um for a parent's evening because obviously they would just gush about me and you're gonna get AAA global pride um so I I think one day they we just had and he only ever spoke to my math teachers and my English teachers and my science teachers so that's all that matters right you want to hear about art art nothing no she's doing fine great 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 so um, I was walking home from school and he, he said to me, oh, you know, in your math, you did really well, well done. And I said, oh, yeah, daddy, I got 90, I think it was 91%. He said, that's really, really good. But, you know, don't forget, you could still have gotten more. There was still a whole another 9% you could have gotten. And I think it was at that moment that I realized um, perfection was required, but not, it was always coming from a place of love. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I felt, um, I, I definitely felt under pressure, but I don't think I felt unloved or, or sort of um, unworthy because of because of their approach. It just was my norm. I didn't have anything else to compare it to. So um, we did that up until um, my entrance exams. And then- and what my, age was that? Up until 10, 10, 11. I think I went to school at about 11. So, so every Saturday, from yeah. two till 11. Yeah. And then um, we, and, and that that wasn't including the homework from home. So my school didn't really give me much homework. So in the evenings and on the weekends, we would do our time tables and my mum would do writing with me and stuff. So they were very heavily involved in making sure that I was ready. And then um, when it came to choosing schools, they basically looked at the league tables and were like, right, we want the best. 20 schools in in London that that are near us um and I think I went for about 10 entrance exams so in that Um, process there's no um you're looking for the best there's no thought on cultural breakdown you're not you're not look right okay so it's just the best of schools that that is the metric that you're measuring it on yeah um I think my my dad's always told me that it's white at the top so if you look True. around and you're, you're all around white people, then you're doing well. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, no, I've, re- I've read that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't really interested in how multicultural the school was because to his mind that that kind of signified that it probably wasn't the best school you could attend. Mm. Um, he was interested in the facilities they offered. He was very um, bowled over by the fact that these schools had tennis courts and gyms and swimming pools and you know he was very into all of that not necessarily because he was interested in extra extra curricular activities but again it just shows the affluence and the aspiration of the school and I guess that's why I started with talking about where my dad's come from um coming from you know a poor uh, a poor home in Nigeria working his way um here in when he was when he first came here he was studying and cleaning doing so he would study during the day sleep on like uh, I think he said his school bench for a couple of hours then start his cleaning job and you know my mum has worked in the same job all her life in job sense plus um you know they they aren't affluent people um but they they kind of have done everything they can to make sure that we have I guess a better start in life um, and, and as a young girl from two to 11, 
where was your voice in all of this? Was there any space to be like, actually, I just want to lie in this Saturday. I don't, I don't really feel. I mean, I can see you like laughing, but was there any <laughs> to say anything like that? Or I might want to try a dance class on Saturday or go swimming or go to my friend's birthday party. So, I mean, my parents did give give, give room for that. Um, in a, there was compromise. So if there was something that I really wanted to go to, okay, well, we'll pick you up from Saturday school earlier <laughs> and you can go to the tail end of it. Um, they weren't, I don't think my parents really understood the importance of extracurricular activities. My my mum was like very big on taking us to museums and things like that. And she, she I guess, um, wanted to instill in us a sense of, culture and adventure and experience through those things but the main focus was um reading writing arithmetic really yeah. um yeah and what was your experience growing up what was your journey to private school um so mine was slightly different in the sense that uh my parents were slightly more relaxed uh eight years on because there's an eight-year gap between us um, so I think I got away with um, pushing for like wanting to do other things a little bit more. Um, but there was still, you can thank your sister yeah, for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was still very much a structure. I think um, it was different for me in the sense that I started out in an independent school. So I think, I don't know how old I was. I would say um, before reception, I think, I was at an independent school. Um, so it was the norm for me. It was kind of the first thing I, I, I ever knew. Um, and even with an independent school, I was still going to Saturday schools. Um, so I was getting a lot of homework during the week. And then I was also going to Saturday school and having to make sure that homework was done for the following Saturday. So it was very, very regimented. Um, and so at that point, um, there wasn't much kind of input in terms of my, my parents giving me work to do because there was so much already um but what they did and which is why probably a gap is advisable I think if you want to give all your children that opportunity is um I then switched I think in reception to a normal school how was that switch so so that's what four or five you're in the room at that stage aren't you yeah so and that switch happened because at that point my sister was finishing up year six and going into secondary school, which was going to be independent. So the two fees would have been too much. So they switched over for that time period. Um, and then obviously by the time she'd finished her private school education, I was starting mine in year seven. So it kind of naturally progressed. So do you remember going from your first day at public school? How was that? It was a big shock. It was <laughs> almost like going to Disneyland because hmm. the regimented nature of it didn't exist anymore and it was really strange like I actually can even picture like the um like the first cup like maybe the first week at school and it was very strange to me because um there just wasn't as much rigor and there was more room for for playtime um and yeah socializing um after school activities there was just so much more um, and that was just a shock. It literally felt like going to Disneyland because I can imagine so to a five-year-old. Yeah, right. there's so much more freedom. Not that um, mm. what I was doing before wasn't good, but um, I just never experienced this kind of education. Um, so that was really weird, but it, in a nice way, actually. Um, but then, um, I guess, to compensate for the fact that that had changed... Um, my dad then started homeschooling at the same time. Um, so right, so talk me through a day. You're, you're finishing school at 3 o'clock, 3.30, then going to your going dad. Home. Yeah, so what my dad would do is, um, if he was, no, he wouldn't be home, so he would leave work for each day of the week, and when my mum would pick me up from school, I'd come home, and I'd, I'd beg her, like, just can I have an hour of TV or something, please, first? Be like, okay, but you have to finish it before your dad comes home. Um, and then I would do the, the maths or the English um, that he would set out for me and that he would Is, is your dad week. making up the work? 
Like he's not like using a book or something. He's just like, so he, wow. He, because he's really, he's a real maths head. So he doesn't, nec- he didn't necessarily need a textbook to teach. He would kind of know, okay, we're going to go through fractions this week. We're going to go through time oh this week. He was just very regimented in that. Um, but in subjects that he wasn't so strong in, he would use, he would use tools like English. He, you know, like poetry. That's not something you would necessarily study back in Nigeria. Uh, it's not going to get you a paycheck. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he would kind of then use materials for that where he wasn't as strong. Um, but I, I used to be cheeky. So I would come home and be like, mum, but everyone's going to the park after school. Can I please, 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 please go? And she'd be like, okay, um, come back in an hour. But I wouldn't come back in an hour. And then my dad would be really upset. Like, why did you let her go? She's supposed to finish her work. Um, so, yeah, it kind of amped up in that way. Um, and then also the Saturday school continued. Um, but I don't know. I feel like they'd become, my parents would become more relaxed in my, by my by the time I came. Um, so I was doing several extracurricular activities. Um, I was doing tennis club after school. Um, I was allowed to go to, my school did like a sleepover. Um, for when I was in, I think year five, they did a sleepover for, for the year fives. Um, and I got to go, they brought me a sleeping bag, snacks for the night. Um, so I got to do a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, but all the while, the study was there um, in the background. And um, it, it showed, it showed because I was near mostly the top of my class um, from throughout my primary school years. Um, so much so that people used to try and like copy my work. <laughs> and stuff like that or ask me oh can you do my homework for me all that kind of stuff I never did it because I was like no I was too scared of the consequences um but they yeah I didn't realize was, you were doing five other million things and everybody in, else was in the background yeah <laughs> um, and yeah and also sometimes it caused a bit of teasing in the sense that my vocabulary was beyond my years and there was a lot of things I was doing that other people didn't really understand um, so that caused quite a bit of um, quite a bit of friction sometimes because I'd be left out of things or um, you know just how children are really um, and yeah so then um, in year six after you do your SATs um, then you're getting ready to go to secondary school and um, so at this point my sister had gone to uni started uni and then the cycle of private school started again and I started in year seven. Um, but I remember that time being very panicked and very rushed um, in the sense that I was up to like midnight doing past papers um, for entrance exams and stuff like that. Um, and me and my sister got slightly different temperaments. So for me, I, I it was very distressing for me um, at that time because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going from almost no pressure for six years aside from Saturday schools and after school work to now being up for like three, four days straight till midnight as what, like an 11 year old um, doing past papers. It was just, ah, uh, it was too much. Yeah, it was a lot. And I think, and I don't even blame my parents for that. Mm. I think it's just the way they knew how to do it. Um, So that's what they did. Um, But for me, it was very distressing. That whole period is a lot. Um, And then I guess to make matters worse is I didn't necessarily have options when it came to the school that I got into um I just kept getting rejection letters and it got to the point where my parents were really concerned as you know like oh you know because for them it wasn't necessarily so much that I I got into one but for them it was more the fact that they wanted to give us both the same opportunity um and so you didn't so, get into the same school no no so I think I applied for about five to seven of them um, and we didn't put any state schools on there or any grammar schools on there because my dad was very adamant that it had to be a private school. So rejection letter after rejection letter, I'm there like sweating like, oh gosh, like what school am I going to go to? And then you get letters from like the, the local schools because obviously schools talk to each other saying that, you know, would you like a place here or there? My dad was adamant that no, you're, you're going to get into one. Um, so luckily, actually, thank God, I did get into one. Um, but I'm, I'm very grateful that it, that was the one I got into because there are varying levels with independent schools. Some are really, really um, high performance 
and others kind of are more willing to kind of see you grow gradually. Um, and that's that's just the way it is because children have different temperaments. Some children can, can deal with that kind of pressure and others can't. And I was one who couldn't. So the school I went to, I was, I was very grateful for that because um, they it was kind of a slow burner. Like they allowed me to, to progress. And to ease you in. Um, yeah, rather than having to be on it from year seven. That's amazing. So now that you've you're you both managed to get in to one of these schools as children, are you aware of the cost? Was that ever talked about? Was there was there was there an extra weight, a layer on you as a child? To my parents have sacrificed this much. They put this much into me. I have to do well. I have to like it. I have to enjoy it. I have to succeed. Did did that ever feel like a weight on you? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was, as the eldest child, I think you end up being more like a partner with your parents. Um, I definitely wasn't treated necessarily as a child in the situation. So we very much put our heads together to work out if we could afford £3,000 a a term type thing. And, um, you know, and I was very conscious of the fact that, you know, my parents had switched from... um, paying down their mortgage to an interest only mortgage so that they could afford to pay for schools. I was very conscious of I knew what my mum earned. I had a rough idea what my dad earned. So I could do the math to work out, you know, what that was taking away from them every every week. I was very aware of the things we were giving up. I think in during my childhood I probably went on holiday maybe three times. Mm. Um because I was very conscious of the fact that bef- so before I got into um, secondary school we actually before sh- before my sister was born we used to go back to Nigeria every couple of years live it up enjoy life you know once the idea of schools came about that was no more holidays my dad has this saying which um, I find myself using now as an adult which is we've got to tighten our belt we used to hear that kind of language all the time we just have to I was very aware that midway through secondary school um, I don't I know, don't know what changed with my parents' finances, but something did. And it led to my dad having to essentially um, get a, a job as a cab, a cabbie. So he worked in a bank during the day. He would come home, have dinner um, and then change his clothes and take the family car and go, be gone all night. And, you know, we'd come home and get an, I, I remember getting in the car and it's smelling of puke or whatever and joining the dots that someone must have cooped up in our car and things like that so I was 100% aware of the sacrifices they were making and I knew that that meant that failure was definitely not an option and even when I was doing my GCSEs I remember I used to start start studying at eight o'clock in the morning and have one hour break for lunch and go all the way through to 10 to midnight night and then do it again and this and I started studying for my GCSEs like months before everyone else did um, and my mum would sit and test me at like midnight and I, I'd write out the textbook by hand. I, I have in our cell, that's probably thrown away now, but I had whole sort of reams of um, handwritten, not notes, but word for word, the textbook, you know, that I'd written out time and time and time again until it was like imbibed in my memory. So I was very conscious. Um, that failure wasn't an option because of everything that my family had sacrificed and how proud they were of me. And did your father ever speak to where this need was coming from? This need for you both to succeed, both be in this school, both. What, what, where, where is it? It's obviously, I mean, re- in retrospect, coming from a sense of lack in himself somewhere. Mm-hmm. But did he, did he ever recognise that? look, girls, I know this is, I know this is tough, but think about what it will do. Or did, did he ever speak to just what it was taking from you, from your family life, from the culture, from your day-to-day experience, your childhood? Yeah, absolutely. I think part of, um, part of the, uh, the hallmark of a good leader is to get the team to buy into the vision and my dad is very very good at that and I don't think in retrospect when I talk about my childhood I I, I, I see people cringe and kind of sympathize with me and that must have sound, been so terrible but I genuinely bought into 
bought into the vision that, you know, if I just put the work in now, my dad always says, he, he's always told us that in life, you can do one of two things, either you can use your brain or you can use your strength. And he said, if you use your strength, if you, if you get a job that's physical labor or manual labor or, or time and energy type thing, one day you won't have your strength to use anymore. But he said, if you, if you can get to a place where your mind is, is what is making money from you, then you will have a much better life. And so, you know, he's always, he's always kind of instilled in us that sense of aspiration and perseverance, not just for sort of the sake of it, but, you know, he would take us to look at houses and things like that and be like, you know, you could buy somewhere like this, or, you know, we'd go around Dulwich where, where I went to school and, you know, he'd be telling us, you know, if you, you know, you don't, you don't, I, I, you need to be better than me and mum. And if me and mum have struggled and done all of this, and now we own a couple of properties in London and, you know, all those things, how much more could you do if you had the right start in life? So he, he was very, he was very, they were both very aware of what it was costing us. Maybe not a hundred percent because I think they probably didn't, um, they didn't, I don't think they ever really thought of us as children, children, <laughs> I think we were sort of mini adults to them. Um, and they would reason with us on a lot of things. Like I was involved in a lot of decisions growing up in, in our home, um, but they definitely were always kind of helping us to link the hard work to the success at the end. Maybe almost too much because I think growing up, I assumed that if I get into a good school, and then if I get into the best university in, in the world, that I would be made. I kind of assumed, well, after that, I'd be a millionaire and I wouldn't have to struggle. I wouldn't have to do anything. It was a big shock to the system to find out that that's not how life works, you know. Um, but they did link it, yeah. Him making up the curriculum, making up the homework, I mean, that is a lot of time. And it's clearly coming from a place of love that he wants the best for you both. It's a lot of energy to put out and um, all the, the effort and the sacrifice of getting the two jobs, it's amazing to see. It's just, um, just takes so much, doesn't it? It takes so much to keep that going that I wonder if he's ever reflected and thinking, was there another way to do this? Is there, is there anything else? Um, is there another way to have achieved what, he, what you all have achieved using a different route? Just, I just wonder. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, so I shared, so we shared your article in the, the private Facebook group, the WhatsApp group and all the social accounts. And again, like I was saying, loads of people, what those people talking, one woman shared, so this is family travels one on Instagram. She said that she overachieved at primary school. So her mum put her in private school. She attended for about four years from six to 10. Doesn't remember much, but has one memory of being asked you're black, how can you afford to come here? By another black girl. When she said that added to her confusion about where the question came from. She then said she struggled academically there. Um, it was a massive change from public education and she didn't feel special anymore. And she said she spoke well because of elocution lessons that she had when she was growing up, but then her cousins called her a coconut and she was mocked for it. And she was talking about how much this hurt her. Did you have any experiences of that, of cousins, friendships, or even rivalry within your own household, loved ones, of just being treated differently? <laughs> kind of finish the you're both laughing. So I assume something's going on. Just being treated differently. Um, does that, can you relate to any of that? 
I'd say yes, actually. But um, it was more, I think it's interesting because mine started before I went to private school because I was being prepped and groomed so much for private school that it was starting to come out in my primary school years even before I went to one. Um, so I experienced a lot of that um, leading up to it, funny enough, um, in the sense that there was kind of... What, like um, people calling you names? Yeah, kind of. I can't even thinking. remember the names now, but just being like, why do you use words that we don't understand? Or like, stop talking like that. Um, or, um, yeah, just, just stuff like that. Or I remember because my school was predominantly um, Afro-Caribbean, um, there was a sense of camaraderie among like the, the TAs and the, some of the children. But I always remember being left out of that completely. Well, well not... I guess towards the end, so year five and six, I remember being very, very left out of that. For example, um, there was a boy um, in my class who had really bad anger issues. Um, and one of the black tears took it upon herself to gather all the black kids in, in the class and be like, we have to take care of him. And you have to, if you see him getting angry, then, you know, um, call one of the teachers or try to defuse the situation. And I was not invited to that conversation. I just remember coming into the classroom at the end and seeing it disperse and I was just like wow gosh like even as young as I was I was like wow that's really um that really did something like oh gosh am I really that different that I'm not even being invited to conversations like that um about people who I would call my friends um so yeah I I guess I definitely um I I definitely do yeah but I guess also the second thing that I relate to is the fact that you go from being the smartest and the one who gets nine out of ten and ten out of ten and you get your level fives and sixes or whatever levels are now I don't know for second for, for primary school and you go from being the best to being so you're not as okay. special anymore um not top of the class yeah and it's a shock to the system you're because I remember in year seven they would ask questions or like my dad had this really big thing about times tables like being able to like do your times tables off like from one to 12 times tables, being able to just do them. And I remember we had a test in year seven and I aced it. I got like 98%, but I was not the only one who got 98%. And it was a real shocker because I was expecting like a star or like, well done class, Shola's done really well. No, there was no such thing as that because everyone was doing the same. If anything, I think it, it got to a plateau or where I was almost like, they do things in sets sometimes, like first set, second set, third set. And there was a time that I was really struggling and I was, I think, in one of the, the lowest sets from like year seven to nine. I think things only really changed in year 10 when I realised, no, you've got to you've got to step up your game because <laughs> you're not the only one anymore. Um, so, yeah, I definitely relate with that. Um, yeah. And in terms of it's interesting because I always say that the dynamics between the issue with this whole coconut thing and all that is always for me, it was always the dynamics with, with black people. That, that came up um it was never an issue with white people it was always black people I hadn't had an issue um and I remember going back to see some of my friends in primary school in like year nine or something and obviously the way I spoke changed because everyone spoke like this in private school um all, all the slang had disintegrated um and they were just like you've changed you're like what's going on like you're really weird now um and that was a real shocker as well um, because I, I didn't even see the change. Um, and I think it's a good one because you need to be able to, to talk properly. You need to be able to speak properly um, if, if you want to be respected, I think, anyway. Um, and that's not to change who you are, but you should be able to speak good English. I don't think there's anything wrong in that. Um, but that was a real, real issue. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I related to what she said there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of not being special, uh, my dad <laughs> gave me a heads up. So once I got into um, the school, he was very, very happy and he took me for a walk. And um, he got very somber and he said to me, look, Jips, now um, it's really easy. And this sounds really bad, but this is verbatim what he said. I'll never forget it. It's really easy to shine amongst dull children but now you're going to a school where everyone shines brightly and you have to shine even brighter. And that's what he said to me. So before I'd even stepped foot into the school, I was already aware 
that my best was no longer going to be good enough to be the best um, in the environment when I was going into. And I remember doing the first, the first ever set of exam entrance exams I did, I think it was for Blackheath High or something like that. Um, and I got into the, the exam hall and I opened up the paper and I just drew a blank and I will never forget it because there was, there was a picture of a woman staring out into the distance and they said, write a story about that picture. And I just couldn't work out what to do. And I looked to my left, looked to my right, and there's all these little girls scribbling furiously asking for more booklets and things like that. And I, I just choked and I came out and I said to my dad, I said, dad, I didn't get into this one. And he said, don't say that you did. Don't worry about it. I said, no, I really didn't. I did really badly. And he looked at me and he just had a look of terror on his face. Like, oh God, have I miscalculated this? Is she not going to do as well as I think? So I definitely had that kind of shift of, you know, my primary school teachers, I was sort of teacher's pet and they would let me stay inside when it was raining and read books and things like that because I was just the special one. Um, and that all changed going into secondary school. Um, and then in terms of kind of relationships with other people, uh, I remember when I got into a second, my secondary school, I think it was announced in my private school, in my, in my primary school, because it just hadn't happened before. Um, and so all the other children um, knew that I was going to this posh, expensive School. and I would be walking sort of down the street after school or whatever and people that I would usually wave at and say hi to would just keep walking or they'd be like oh you know how is that fancy school you're going to or whatever so you were getting that from all your peers your friends at school and then again in sort of home family environment people you know were there was I think maybe some resentment or some jealousy or some assumption that because I was going to that kind of environment I felt like I was better than my cousins you know so and then again you, the way you speak changes not not through any deliberate kind of you know decision but it does because of the people you're around the people you're being taught by and so you would come home on the weekends because once I got into secondary school all of the rigmarole from my parents completely stopped because they were comfortable that I was now in an environment that would teach me to succeed so I had my weekends back and so I tried to you know reconnect with my cousins and have sleepovers and all sorts of things and you know I would I would go to adventure playground or the park with them or whatever and you know their friends would be like oh your your cousin speaks weird or I used to get sort of um teased for speaking Queen's English and things like that um you know and so there was definitely a sense of not necessarily belonging in the private school world where there were super affluent children and you know people whose norm is to go on ski trips and you know you, you go to their houses and you're sort of embarrassed for them to come to your house you don't fit into that world because socio-economically speaking you're completely different and then you don't fit into the world that you were coming from anymore because they see you as different um so it definitely was a big culture shock a big shock in terms of realizing that you know you now are sort of in limbo um and I kind of took to doing things like um so I it, I I even changed my name actually so amongst my um cousins they start they were because they were from a Caribbean background they um, would call me by my middle name which was Charlotte because it was easy for them and rather than kind of correct them and say well that's my middle name it was easier for me to go along with that and and kind of try and find some sort of common ground. And then, you know, at school I was Madupe, so I almost sort of had two sort of separate, you know, personas in a way um, to kind of cope with it all. Yeah. Yeah. So positives, what are the positives? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about something happy. What would you remember? what were the positive bits you remember from from your education what do you look back on and what what makes you smile about having gone to private education the opportunity for me it was the opportunity um i took up tennis because we had a tennis court i went swimming because we had a swimming pool i went to the gym every day and got really fit because we had a gym i 
you know, um, my parents couldn't afford to do to do any extracurricular activities, so I didn't get to you know study music or do speech and drama or things like that. But we had an amazing drama um, department, so I did drama, and you know we were taken to see plays and things like that. You know where my counterparts probably hadn't even been to a theatre. We were going to the theatre every every month, and you know doing projects on plays and things like that. Um, I, you know, I, if you expressed an interest in something, you were given room to to make it come to pass. So, you know, uh, I ended up heading up um, a gospel choir, which still lives on to this day in the school because we were like, you know, this is something we want to do. And there were a few black girls in the, in the school and they were like, make it happen. And then we started telling them, well, you know, we wanted to do some multicultural stuff. So they said, well, set up a multicultural evening. And so we got the freedom to come up with initiatives and see them through um, the responsibility of leadership, the exposure, you know, to so many different subjects um, that, you know, you know, I would, I did French, German, Latin, and a bit of Spanish, you know, my, my cousins, maybe if they were lucky, got to do Spanish, you know, um, there was just so much opportunity um, even meeting, I remember one of my friends saying that her dad was a surveyor, and I was like, well, "What's that?" You know, I didn't even I hadn't even heard of that. But again, you you were in an environment where there was such affluence and such aspiration, you started to see that these things were possible. Um, going to, you know, they had they we had they have a really great alumni network, and we had girls come back. To Jags and be like you know I'm now a doctor I'm now an orthodontist I'm now a this I'm now a that and you know you get to hear about all of those things and they're a possibility I'll never forget when I got my GCSEs I was shocked I got 10 A stars and a teacher called me to the side and said so will you be applying to Oxbridge and I said to her what's Oxbridge I had no clue what that was and she was like well you know your grades are good enough there's these schools called Oxford and Cambridge do you want to so I went home and asked my daddy who was like yes let's do it so I was like okay that must have been a moment for your father like I have achieved <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah I think all his Christmases would come at once That's you know I didn't even I didn't know that they even existed you know I didn't know that that was even a thing my when I decided I wanted to go to uni, I was like, I really want to go to Manchester. And the only reason I decided that was because it was really far away from home. And it was also a city like London. And that was literally my only reasoning. And if it wasn't for um, people in, in my, you know, teachers in my school saying, well, actually, you have options, I just wouldn't know. So I think, I know we've spoken a lot about the grueling sort of hard slog. Um, I, I met people, you know, that um, I, I wish I could say I made lifelong friends. I didn't, um, but I did meet people who were good friends at the time. Um, you know, I had I got friends who invited me to the south of France for a couple of weeks, and my parents let me go. And I just never, I'd never, I'd never conceived of people having homes in other countries. So you know, it just broadened my horizons beyond what my parents could ever ever give me because. They didn't know it to give. Um, yeah. Totally. And you, you can't quantify that. You can't quantify what that does for, for a child, for a brain, what, what, what that does for the world, you know, mm. building future scientists, politicians. You can't quantify it. So having reflected on your experience, would you want your children and would you want your girl children to attend private school? Yes, I would. Um, 100% I think I would just do a couple of things differently um, in the sense that I would really prepare them for the change and the shift um, especially if they don't go to an independent primary school um, because I think being prepared for that shift is paramount and I think supporting them through that shift is what will make the difference and help them to enjoy it rather than have to feel like they're challenged by something or they're going through something and you know they might feel like oh because it's that's a free pay in school I just have to deal with it and I just have to keep it moving but yeah just to encourage them that you, they can come to you um and the fact that it's that I'm paying for that education is not the be all end all um of it and that they should yeah feel free to come 
and, and talk to me if they have issues. It's a lot, isn't it? It's a big yeah. punt on a precious gift of a child. Not every child could survive under those circumstances. What you've mm. just talked about, I've got a five and a three-year-old, two very different personalities. Um, I think it's amazing that you two have come out on the other side, but this could crush a lot of spirits, a lot of personalities. And I'm just wondering, um, is it worth yeah. it? Is it worth putting our children through this? So I have a one-year-old and it's a discussion I have with my husband a lot. And it's a discussion I have with friends who have come through the system as well. And, you know, I, I was talking to so, um, one of a couple of my friends actually who went to the same private school as me and their view was actually, it depends what your end goal is. Um, I think for our parents, it was to give us a leg up sort of, you know, into an, they, what they were paying for wasn't just the math, English and science, it was the access to that world. Um, and some of my friends say, well, now, now that they've, they have access to that world and they have that network, they're not so keen on putting their own children through that because they can give their children what our parents couldn't give us. They can say, oh, I have a friend who's a lawyer. You can do experience with, work experience with them. They can say, oh, you know, well, um, I have an alumni friend from university. Why don't you shadow them? Or, or why don't you talk to them about their experiences and find out what it takes? Like our parents, that generation did not have access to that world. They could, the only thing they could do was to, to put us to, to find a way to to put us into that environment so that we would have access so you know some of my friends have said you know they're perfectly ha happy sending their children to state schools or grammar schools and you know i i went to cambridge university and there were so many people there from state schools i was surprised i was pretty sure that everyone would be from eton or whatever and whilst there were a lot of people from that kind of privilege there were also people from state schools who had just got there on you know, um, uh, passing exams or whatever, but had come from a completely different walk in life. So I really do think sort of looking back now, you do get to a place and age where you realize that your peers are from all different walks of life and, and perhaps the, the leg up you thought you got um, by going to private school wasn't necessarily the only way or the only option. Um, so I'm, I'm tussling with that because I know what I got from a private education, but I also know what it took from me. I know what going to the best institutions in the world, unprepared and unkind of completely sure of my own um, identity um, and internal value. It crushed me actually, um, especially going um, to Cambridge University. I came out of that very kind of um, disillusioned um, and confused. It's really important to look at the child you have to kind of see what their temperament is. Some children just skate through academics. And so great, if that's the case, put them in that environment. Some children need to be challenged. If they're not challenged, they you won't get the best out of, out of them. Some children are so bright that, you know, just having this bog standard um, homework or whatever doesn't maximize their potential. But I think there are other children that, um, for example, one of my good friends, she's like she can already see in her child that they're probably not going to be that way inclined so she's pumping all her resources into making sure that they go to extra sort of um, drama classes and dance classes and things like that because that's where they're going to excel so I really think it's really important to know that there's not just one way one path to succeed and whatever you see in your child that is that glimmer of talent or the thing they take joy in to really come behind that and, and push that. You know, I know of people who have made sure their children are grade eight in piano or drums or whatever. And that's what's gotten them into a grammar school or a, a private school, not necessarily passing exams. And that's the school's taken them on so that they can nurture that. Um, and that's what will kind of cause them to excel. So I think the kind of old way of thinking, whether there's, there's this is one route to go to get to where you want your children to get to probably was partly ignorance. Um, and I think as the next generation, I would want to make sure that my child was first and foremost happy um, and, it, and suited to the environment they were in. And then that I was kind of investing in every way, shape and form in in what what brings them joy and success um 
even though there is a bit of my dad in me sort of niggling in the back of my head saying about private school <laughs> you know you want to give your children more than what you had and so you know my dad's already telling me well you know your daughter you've had the best education that money can buy so she has to have you know even an even better education but it just depends on who she is you know I have to watch closely yeah and how we view yeah. the best education what what that means so just a yes or a no given the chance would you do it again if you had the option to go to private education or to go to a state school would you would you go again honestly it sounds crazy but i'd say yes because um i just think from a place of maturity i realize now just how much the opportunities outweighed the challenges um for me um yeah i would do it again i would definitely do it again and um yeah and that's what makes me think if i did have a goal but you know but provided like i said before conditions because yeah the opportunities are just endless like you could sit here talking about all the things that i managed to get to do because i went to private school yeah and would you go again yeah on balance yeah yeah i would i would Okay, so for any of those mums, parents listening, interested in private education, what changes should we be asking for? What should we be looking out when we're doing applications or doing our rounds or doing our research? Any any advice there? I think for me, um, it's really important to make sure that there's an opportunity to get a seat at the table. Um, my parents kind of dropped me off and left me to, to sink or swim. Um, and I think it's really important to find out what opportunity the school gives for you to have a voice in the kind of educa education that you're paying for um, and not to come to it with a sort of uh, gratitude mentality. Like, I'm just so grateful that my child can be here. No, you're paying for this education and you have a right to challenge the curriculum if you don't think it's balanced. You have a right to challenge the faculty if you don't think that they um, show enough sensitivity towards um, culture um, and background. You have a right to to challenge them if the only school trips available are ski trips and things like that, which not everyone can afford. Um, and I think kind of coming to, to the table with that sense of, of worth as a parent for your child is really, really important. Um, in terms of sort of how to help your child along the way, um, just on a kind of very practical level, schools often publish things like past papers um, and you can often get hold of um, lots of materials like that. And I think it is really important, if you, especially if your child is coming from a state school, to, to, um, to help them kind of uh, get familiar with that process of um, the fact that they will be sat in an exam hall, they will be timed, they will be asked, they will be under pressure. And, and the more familiar they can get with that in a, in a safe environment at home or with a tutor, the better chance they'll stand. The very first um, couple of exams I took, I should have passed, but I choked because I just was not ready for that kind of environment. It's not so alien. Yeah, so I would say get them comfortable with that, give them past papers, let them do it first, you know, just freehand and then start by timing them and narrow it down until they're, they're comfortable with that timing. Um, and I guess from a sort of emotional perspective as well, I think it's really important, especially if you're not from that socioeconomic bracket, to let them know that um, what you have, what you have is enough and you, you can be proud of it. Um, and it doesn't make you any lesser. Um, it just, it's just everyone has their differences, you know, and, and again, from a racial perspective, if they've come from an all black school or a majority sort of um, very multi multicultural school to let them know, again, that I think it's really important to surround them with that outside of school. So even if they don't get it um, at, from nine till three, they have another set of people who identify with them, who understand them, who don't judge them because of the school they go to, um, to give them a bit of balance. 
think that's just good life advice. Yeah. <laughs> that's just how I want to live my life. So it does sound like private school can be for black girls. I think what I've heard today is advantages outweigh the disadvantages. We need changes, training across the board to be implemented. Um, educational institutes need to be held accountable for providing duty of care for all students. Yeah. Um, I think a safe space sounds great for all students that so they can feel um, that they can be themselves somewhere wholeheartedly. Mm. Um, and I think finding a space to create scholarships to be made available for students coming from minority backgrounds. The one thing I would say about scholarships from my experience is they can be a double-edged sword. It's an, it's an amazing right. thing to help someone into that environment. But then you also have to remember that often that that attaches stigma to the child um, because their peers will know that they are attending the school based on a scholarship. Um, I didn't I didn't even think that was a thing until I got to university and everyone assumed I was an access student on a scholarship or sort of as a quota. And I just didn't understand why people would assume that. And, you know, it it brought into question and for me I was relieved that I wasn't one of those students because I could turn around and say no nope, I got here just like you you know and for, for those students who do come through that route it definitely brought into question their their merit so extra weight extra pressure yeah on an already pressed situation yeah yeah any final words you want to say to parents thinking about private education I would just say know your child um, it's not about the accolades, it's not about, all oh, they're going to a private school and the name of the school, it's about your child. That's what's most important because, like we said, you carry these memories for the rest of your life. So um, just know your child, and if it's not for them, it's not for them. And if it is for them, then you have to be willing to not just drop them off in the morning and pick them up at the end of the day. You have to be fully invested, um, you know, in time outside of that um, in supporting them. I think that's great advice. And lastly, any words to young girls attending private education right now? Anyone listening who might be struggling? Anything that we can say to them? Hang in there. Um, it, it is preparing you for the real world and you will be far better prepared in the real world, the corporate world, the, whatever profession you go into I, I'll repeat what my dad always told me which is that it, it is unfortunately still very white at the top and if you can learn now to manage those microaggressions um, and manage those you know non-PC questions and question marks over your worth and your value at this age you will be head and shoulders above those people who come in at into the game a much later stage and um find it a lot harder to deal with as an adult so hang in there it does get better and you are you are doing something for your future that you know you will you will only look back on and be grateful for in the long run that's amazing <laughs> amazing so how can we stay connected to you both can you just um I'll put it in the copy as well but can you share your social media handles anything you guys are up to that we can look out for yes yeah, so uh, it's just my name on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, so that's S O L A P E A L A T I S E, all in one. Um, and yeah, you'll get Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm a freelance journalist and I'm constantly writing stories, um, hoping to do um, more work potentially in the future for Black Ballad. Um, and yeah, so. All my stuff will be on my socials. I'm a journal, so it's all out there for you to see. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested in anything I'm doing, socials it is. Yeah, I'm showing my age because I had to I had to just quickly Google what my handle was. <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm on Instagram um, and I'm MC Anonogy. Um, and, yeah, that's... I, I, I'm on there. I, I see, if anyone does message me about anything, I will see it. I don't really post that much, but um, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> Thank you so much to both of you joining. Thanks for sharing so openly. I know it's not easy, but um, I'm sure it's going to connect with a lot of people listening. So just thanks for being brave and sharing everything that you've both been through. Really appreciate it. 
Um, anybody listening, if you'd like to join the Dope Black Moms private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Moms on Facebook. And you can follow us on all socials at Dope Black Moms. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And yeah, see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye. Dope Black Moms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.